I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a new wrestling show on cable TV. MLW Underground debuted on Reels recently. And you can catch the show Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. on the cable channel. MLW CEO, founder, and promoter Court Bauer returns today to talk about his promotion's new TV deal and how it all came together. He's also sharing some details about the antitrust lawsuit he filed against his former employer, WWE. And speaking of WWE, Court spent two years on the creative team working for Vince McMahon as a writer. He gives a behind-the-scenes look at what the creative team was like then, how a typical day would go, and what he learned working with people like Paul Heyman, Dusty Rhodes, Bruce Prichard, along with legendary Hollywood writers who didn't really know much about wrestling. Court's got some great stories about Dusty Rhodes, Dave Batista, Umaga, Jacob Fatu, Gary Albright, so many more. And Court was there during the Eddie Guerrero-Rey Mysterio feud that also involved Rey's then eight-year-old son, Dominic, who's currently tearing it up in WWE as a heel. Court remembers some of the ideas that Eddie brought to the story and explains why this particular feud featured a lot more of Eddie on the mic than Eddie in the ring. And we also talk about Taboo Tuesday, which actually started as Cyber Sunday, which I know well. I was very heavily involved in it. Tons of great wrestling stories about WWE and MLW with Court Bauer right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Big bit of news coming from uh, from wrestling um, as another wrestling company has a television deal. Uh, Court Bauer is back on Talk to Jericho to talk about MLW on Reels, which is a cable channel that, that mostly known from what I've ever watched Reels is like the true story of Kiss right. or, or, or Van Halen behind the riffs or something like that, right? Yeah, a lot of rock docs, a lot of movie docs. I love their Ghostbusters doc, which was a right. Ghostbusters guy. I love that stuff. And then in the last year, they kicked off a new show called On Patrol Live on right. Fridays and Saturdays. And that show is a ratings beast. It is the number one cable uh, show on cable on Fridays and Saturdays. 
unless there's college football, it's number one, like every weekend. And it crosses over a million viewers. And it's huge. It trends every night. It's a beast. It's funny because I think uh, for Rampage, if we can beat on patrol, you're lucky, but it's hard to do because like you said, it's such, it's such a beast. Is it like a, a cops type of a show or something like that? Yeah. So they like do cut-ins from different cities and you see different things going on. It's like, what if like you could jump in with the cops in a car to see what's going on? Oh, right, right, right. They had one thing where this guy's like on a, I don't know, or somewhere in the South, he's on a tractor drunk going down the road and he like has a stick of butter in his hand. They're like, they didn't know what it was. Like, what is that? He's like, oh, it's just a stick of butter. Why do you have a stick of butter? He's like, I always travel with a stick of butter and it's this thing that then went viral. And then they started giving out sticks of butter um, on the show. So it's a fun thing to watch on the weekend. So how did you get hooked up? Cause I know obviously MLW, you guys have been, been, been going for at least five years, maybe longer. Yeah. And there's always been talk. I mean, you're a very smart guy, but getting a television deal, how did you get onto reels? Cause this has to be the biggest deal you guys have ever had. Oh, big time. I mean, rewinding to 2021, I was talking up like we got a, this big deal. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then we had like the media embargo. They knew it was going down the night before the press release was going out. The papers were signed and then we're told deal off. And then that long story short triggered an antitrust lawsuit with WWE. Right. And we like had reached the summit, right? It's so hard to get a TV deal. It's not easy. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how good your product is or not. It's just a hard thing to do, especially now when the content is king era has kind of toppled and the king is dead. And now it's just a rush to try to get the best deal you can. We got in there right before that shit hit the fan. After that streaming deal went south, I basically just had to go back out there and it was like start over. It's Groundhog's Day and go out there and start shopping and pitching and doing it all over again. So it was like just get knocked down from the top of the mountain and going through it all over again and just trying to keep the, the business afloat while you go through that. And, you know, two years later, and then we had to go through the pandemic in the middle of that. We had to do all this stuff. By the way, two billionaires, you know, just doing what they do in the midst of this. It, it wasn't easy. And so, you know, at meeting after meeting, we, we got there with Reels and we signed the contract in late December and announced it in January. And we were just so elated to be there. I mean, Reels has grown. It's one of the rare stories of being a cable network that is a success story in 2023. Most are in this contracting state where they're losing viewership. It's just the natural progression of cable cords. Sure. And what's happened with Reels is they're growing. They are now a top 25 network. You know, to give you like a comparison, Vice is in the high 70s. Access TV, which has New Japan and Impact, is like ranked like 98, 99. I think TNT and TBS float anywhere depending on the week for like number, you know, eight or nine to 12. And the same for USA in that ballpark. Fox Sports 1 is in like the high 50s. MTV is like ranked in the 40s. So we're in a top 25 network. They hover between like 23 and 26 most most weeks. But that's huge. I mean, I think for us, you know, we've had guys like Hammerstone, Fat 2 in the company. Before MJF was in AEW and Tony Giovanni made his comeback, they were in MLW. But our network at the time was ranked like 136 BN Sports. So for us to leap virtually 110 channels to reels, it's like finally we got the platform. Finally, people are going to find out a hammer back to all these guys in MLW. Quick question. and I don't want to get too far in the weeds of this because I'm sure you probably can't even talk too much. But you mentioned something that I had forgotten, which was... MLW has an antitrust lawsuit against WWE. At least to the best of my knowledge. To, to the point of, it's it must be like as much of a, of a hassle it is. 
it must be almost a little bit of kind of a feather in your cap. Or do you think it's something a personal vendetta, if you can even ask that as to why they even bother coming after you guys in the first place? It's not like, you know, you guys are doing your business and it's good business, but it's not like you're even, you know, one drop in the bucket, a threat to, to WWE. Well, you know, look at Ring of Honor and New Japan when they ran the Garden. I know AEW's had issues. Yeah. Whether it's contract tampering, whether it's arena issues, this shit's been going on for 40 years. Just ask the promoters through the decades. Good point. And how are they wounded? How are they damaged? And for us, we were almost mortally wounded, and it was time to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I think, you know, Vince is the kind of guy that just the WWE as a, as, as a whole, they want to they want to control, they want to have maximum market share. Yeah. They, they want to suffocate the competitors by virtue. Look, look what, how it's happened. Exhibit A through Z. Uh, it speaks for itself. Well, you're right. And even when you mentioned Ring of Honor going to uh, Madison Square Garden with New Japan, that originally was banned because I think it was one of those things where, where Vince probably went, hey, you can't do a show at the Garden. That's our building. And then they're like, well, actually, we can. And suddenly the show happens. And I know that one bothered Vince. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they would come after us being AEW, you guys being MLW, whether it's it's Corgan or whoever. But still, I mean, I think it's kind of cool to say that you came from WWE, that they're actually, you're enough on the radar to where they felt that they had to at least try and mess with you. So that's actually kind of a, you've made it, kid. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to have gotten past that and gotten the deal done and denounced. But, you know, it, it's a it's a hard business. I remember Hayman saying that to me years ago when we were both in WWE. It was a rough day at the office. And he just looked at me and he's like, man, this is a tough business. Yeah, a really tough business. And it's a ruthless business. It's a great business, beautiful business, but it ain't an easy business. If it was, everyone would be doing and having success. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of, of success, I was just actually pulled up the because the, the, the debut of, was last week. And this is every Fridays you're on Tuesday nights at 10. Sorry, t- Tuesday nights at 10. Exactly. So we're looking at the viewers. You got about 80,000 viewers, which is the 37,000 in the demo. I mean, I'd have to say. That's not a bad start for a, a company that probably a lot of people who watched it might not have even heard of it before. Yeah, so that was just the East Coast. So the combined number spoken was- like a true promoter. Hey, man, <laughs> hey. you got to tell us everything here. <laughs> no, so hundred. So it was like around one hundred five hundred six thousand for the total. That's great. That number for the demo went up to about fifty four thousand. So half of our audience was in that eighteen to forty nine number. And, you know, from what I've been told that no other show has done that number, it's even by NBA standards, it was considered a pretty damn impressive number. Now, that's the concentration, the percentage of viewers. So, you know, what AEW's number is is different than ours, but the percentage of concentration in the 18 to 49 thing. Again, I'm not a, I'm not the stack guy. I'm a promoter. <laughs> I didn't do great in math, but uh, that's what I'm told is the number. And so for us, you know, the first thing I thought of was demo God. <laughs> <You're doing. laughs> and I was like, you know, I was like, I mean, truthfully, my expectation, because we had done 40,000 on Vice with no real great support at FYI, right. but to have great a partner pushing you, promoting you, you know, I didn't want to have that false sense of like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to knock it out of park. I mean, you want to project the swagger, but inside I'm like, I didn't sleep right Tuesday night going to Wednesday <laughs> because I don't know what the number is going to be. Yeah. So internally, I'm like 35,000. What is that? And I don't know. And but that, you know, so for us internally, this was considered a huge success to hit 100, 500, 6,000 total. But now the real work begins. You know, it's like Game of Thrones. That's the debut, all those right? Yeah. Shows. yeah. You, you, now you got to put in the work. You got, you know, you were hyping it. It was an entertainment weekly. We got all, you know, everyone was covering it. But now you got to go into that grind on a week to week basis. The storylines have to click. The talent has to click. 
all that stuff has to mesh. And, you know, for us too, it's trying to find a, like a, a formula when you're at 10 PM going to 11 PM, that's going to really work. Mm-hmm. It's from when I, when I was at WWE, you're eight to 10, you're, you're nine to 11 or something like that. So it's a totally different, different experience. We're on the other side of prime time. We're at the end of prime time when the viewership starts to trickle off. So for me, it's like, I'm always learning in this business and this is a new unique challenge. It's like, how do you program a show that structurally hits right for ratings performance? And just as a quick side note, that's actually almost double of what uh, New Japan World did on, or New Japan did on, on Access TV. And it's almost in the ballpark of, of impact with TNA. So once again, that's a really good uh, starting number for you. But how do you, um, you mentioned, like, how, how are you writing TV now, knowing that you really have a lot at stake? And that really counts. Now you're in the zone where you understand mm-hmm. what Tony Khan goes through, what Paul Levesque goes through. Every week has to be WrestleMania. Yeah, and I think it's just like you got – our thing is is going to try to lean into being authentic, channeling. I think maybe some of that ECW mojo, we can't have that big Times Square entrance set production. We just – first of all, we'd be competing against those that have a massive budget. So trying to do something a little bit more raw, a little bit more immersive, a little bit – hey, we're in the old ECW arena, mm-hmm. the cathedral of violence itself. So to be at the 2300 arena and have some of the people that did ECW's production involved – I think we're trying to have the, some of that connectivity to that DNA. That's what, when MLW started way back in 2002, before it took a break, that's what it was. I mean, we had guys like Raven in front of the camera, guys like Charlie Brzees, who was the head of production behind it. And Joey Styles originally was the, the announcer for us. So a lot of that is, you know, we see a little bit of that in the product today. How is it trying to hold on to your talent when you mentioned you're up against two competing billionaires, especially with AEW, who signs... Tony Khan doesn't have a problem signing guys. That's one of his things. He likes having a big roster, that's for sure. Yeah, I think there's a few things. One, Fatu and Hammerstone could vendor free agency at least two or three cycles since coming in four or five years ago. They elected to opt out and re-up with us. I've always said, look, we're going to grow together. As we grow, as my budgets change, that money's going to you. I mean, straight up, I didn't get paid in MLW until this past year. I didn't take a paycheck for four years. Because that, I wanted that money going into the company. It wasn't fiscally responsible for me to do that. It went to the talent, went to the crew, went to the staff. And so for us, it's like partially is, yes, we were able to pay you more. But other part of it is this is a system where you, you know, like any professional athlete, you find that system, whether it was for Belichick and football, whoever, Phil Jackson back in the day for the Bulls, that you just thrive in that system. It just works for you. It works for you in a lot of different ways. The locker room culture works for you. Mm-hmm. All these things work for you. So you re-up. It feels like a good fit. It fits right. And also, you know that you were a free agent beforehand and AEW was around. WWE was around. And maybe you had a look at one of those companies or both of those companies and they did, they passed on you. And so I think it's part of it is kind of like that. what happened. Like Dreamer once said it. It's like he had that shot. He did tryouts for WCW, WWF back in the day, but it was ECW where he found it. And he was fiercely loyal because they were the ones that gave him that stage. I think there's a little bit of that with us too. And the show is just to confirm it's MLW Underground, right? Yep. MLW Underground. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, amigas. See, already learning. Ha ha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. 
You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. I love the fact that you continue to build uh, MLW and you have the experience to do that. And obviously you started in, in WWE and every time we talk, you always have lots of great stories and tidbits and actually I always enjoy it. Uh, and you actually gave me a, quite a few good ideas that we can discuss here from those days. It, it's funny, I was just in El Paso yesterday, of course, home of Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And one of the things that caught my eye when you emailed me about stuff to talk about was was the Eddie and Rey Mysterio feud, which was a classic feud, which of course was built around Eddie's very young son, Dominic, who now is one of the top heels in uh, WWE and has only just begun. Um, were you quite involved in that Eddie Ray storyline? Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think a lot of the creative team had some sort of contributions, whether it was something unique that Michael Hayes would pitch right. or Alex Greenfield producing vignettes, but like Eddie really took ownership of like, I have this idea, this vision. I want to, you know, he wanted to turn heel and he wanted to do it differently. And he had all these ideas and, and Vince gave him really carte blanche. Like he does his top stars. Most of the time, let's give it a whirl and you know, let's see, you know, give, you'll give, give you enough rope to hang yourself too. But right. with masters like Eddie wasn't an issue, but you're also working with the child. So there's, you're doing it in front of a live crowd. There's all these dynamics that are a little funky. You're not sure how it's going to play out. And Eddie, I remember he went to San Diego with a camcorder. This is before you had your flip phones and your iPhones and stuff. And he did this thing where he was like stalking Dominic. And he like shot it like as a shoot. <laughs> it's just, imagine Eddie Guerrero just creeping around the children's <laughs> playground at school after school, just watching Dominic. There's my son. Oh, I just wish I could be with my son. <laughs> and we're, we watched this footage. We're like, well, we can use some of this, but this kind of gets really weird. And sure. And then he had this idea where, he was going to do a promo uh, with Ray in the ring. And he, he was just seeing one of the Star Wars movies. I think it was like the third one of the prequel. I don't know what it's called. And he, he wanted to turn around. And like the, the Sith in Star Wars, his, he wanted his eyes to be like red and yellow. Hmm. And he turned around. So he was trying to figure out how he could do the contacts and get them in so he could look normal. And then flip and do this, you know, almost like thriller moment, I guess. Right, right, right. And so some of those ideas didn't happen because they just were all like, mm, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. But a lot of those ideas were Eddie. If you watch it back, you know, the Dominic on the pole, a summer, Sam, Eddie, just trying to create the doubt in those promos. And just, if you notice in that time, it was like summer of, it was like started like in June of 2005 and went all the way to like 
you know, SummerSlam, I guess. Which is right before he passed away. I believe he passed away in October or so, November maybe, right? Yeah. Early November, because yeah. then he went and did a little something with Batista, who really, he really just helped Batista really find himself and be comfortable in front of the camera. Because the way we'd always shoot with Dave was that stoic shot, the guy that, yeah. the guy, guy didn't say anything, but just sold it with the eyes. And Eddie allowed him to kind of, sh- you know, be comfortable with your personality, be comfortable in your skin. And, and he got loose. And I think if you look at how incredible Dave Batista's career trajectory, it really started with Eddie just allowing him just to be comfortable. Get, get outside your comfort zone, just do different yeah. things. And Dave's guard went down because he was very guarded for a long time. His guard went down, and man, he just, I don't think I ever saw him in my time at though that he had as much fun as, you know, being the low rider with Eddie and stuff. But, you know, going back to, to the Eddie and, and Ray story. Oh, but hold that thought, Corbett. So what was the Eddie and Ray story? The Eddie claimed that, that Dominic was his son? His son. And that Ray took care of him when Eddie had some issues going on on a personal front. And now he wanted his son back, I believe, was the way it was structured. Gotcha. But that was like, you know, a three-month program. Part of why Eddie went so heavy in the promos, everyone's like, why didn't he wrestle so much during that period? His body was breaking. Down. Yeah. He was physically hurt. He'd show up and... You know, we have him booked for matches and he was just like, man, I'm, my back, you know, his whole body, is just, he was in bad shape physically. Mm-hmm. He had gone through that. Everyone forgets he had a horrible car wreck in like 98, 97. Yeah, yeah. he almost died. New Year's Eve. Yeah. yeah. You know, he had just like a month or two at that Halloween Havoc had a killer match with Mysterio. One of my favorite matches of all time. Awesome match. Classic. Yeah. And so you saw him at his peak and where he was going and his car wreck. It really just changed him, I think, probably forever as a performer. He still could go, but... You know, that was a devastating car wreck. He almost died. So fast forward seven years later, he's still hurting. And he's hurting more and more every day uh, because the WWE schedule. Unbelievable. It's a very, you make great money, but it's a very demanding schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's, I think there were some people that were skeptical. Oh, he's just trying to work us into not, you know, working as much. But he was, you could tell he was, he was physically in pain. That wasn't a performance. He was in pain. Yeah. So I think part of the Eddie... Dominic Mysterio story was constructed out of essentially needing to mask what was going on physically. Right. And even that continued after that with Dave Batista. You know, he did a lot of Gaga, a lot of promos around low riders and, you know, <laughs> scheming and all these conniving things that Eddie was great out, the shifty looks and everything. You won't see a lot of matches from that summer to his passing because, you know, he just he was having a hell of a hard time. So you're saying as a result of that, he was he was putting more of the emphasis on the storylines that he was doing to make every match count, so to speak. Yeah, out of necessity. And, and it was a brilliant idea because, you know, he wasn't ever known as the promo guy. Mm-hmm. But during this period, all of a sudden he found this, this – he himself found his voice and was doing live promos and stuff. I mean, he wasn't a guy that like, hey, man, go out there and talk for 15 minutes. That wasn't his calling card. Just forte, yeah. But, you know, the, the greats evolved. And out of necessity because of injuries or because they get stale, they recognize that before the fans do, hopefully, and they make the pivot. So what was the Dominic on a pole match? I was on see, the funny thing that people don't realize is I never wrestled Eddie in WWE, maybe once very early on, but he was always on SmackDown and I was always on Raw. So you would kind of hear some of these things, but yeah, what do you do? Take him down and use him as a weapon, start beating each other with Dominic, the, the little boy. And what is he about eight years old at the time or so? He was, yeah, he was eight years old and he was about as tall as Ray by then. Yeah. And, he was, you know, and, and, but he, yeah, I think there was, they had a writer at the time, uh, this girl named Casey, this woman named Casey, she was really nice, great, talented person from LA. And they, so they brought her in as like 
some sort of like custody rep or something. And she, there was like papers hanging, I think too, with Dom. I think there was like, Dominic wasn't on the poll. I think there was papers. So whoever got that had custody of Dominic and he was watching like, you know, Oh, gotcha. With those like Miss Elizabeth big eye looks, you know, <laughs> you know and then the first, I'm your poppy shirt started with, with Eddie during that. And they did killer business. He did, you know, I think there's I'm your poppy, that big reveal. I think that's when he was supposed to have the, the Star Wars red eyes. <laughs> Possessed. Possessed. How do you think uh, and feel about Dominic, uh, what he's doing now? Did you always kind of see that in him or, or is it something you're kind of surprised about? Because he's really starting to feel his character, in my opinion, is doing a fairly good job. When at first he was a little bit, you know, you're you're a kid. You don't know what the hell you're doing when you first start. Well, too, yeah, I mean, the Mysterio family, which we are just calling, but, you know, for wrestling terms, that, you know, they're, they're such a close, good family. Ray, his wife, his children, just great people. His daughter, his daughter was on the show for a while, too, wasn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, you know, going to their house and I go to San Diego and Conan and I go over and, you know, we'd have dinner and they're incredibly gracious. And then Dominic comes in. He's, he's playing uh, football in high school at the time. He's huge. He's jacked and everything. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This guy's end up playing maybe in the NFL. I don't know. He's he's, he's a big <laughs> dude. But just like I remember, you know, come up through the NUI family, there was this kid named Joe NUI who was going to Georgia and was tracking go to the NFL. And if that didn't work out, well, it was always wrestling. Yeah. And so just like who would become Roman Reigns, Dominic at that point in time, I'm sure, you know, he knew that that was in the mix. So he was a big dude. So having seen him like, you know, right around the Lucha Underground era, and seeing how big he got from 2005, 2006 to 2016, 2017, I was like, oh my gosh, this mm. guy is, is going to go somewhere. But to see him, you know, it's, it's a hard thing because you, know, you think about how many sons have been in the business and there have been so many hits, but there's also been so many misses. Right, I mean, sure. You, know, you think about the days of like David San Martino and all these guys that are like close but no cigar or they looked right but couldn't go once the bell couldn't get over, all those things. Dominic, you know, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. And then ultimately, you know, you surround him with great talent and it can be contagious and your confidence grows and your ability, you can, you know, vibe off of them and figure out like certain things that your strengths, they hide your weaknesses and that allows you to ascend. But it's, you know, he was thrown in the deep end. He really was. Right. A lot of guys are crushed by the pressure of that. That is not easy. And so, especially when your father happens to be one of the best in Mysterio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he's done an amazing job. And I think, you know, see where he is in a year or two, it's going to be interesting because you're seeing him starting to find his kind of look now. You know, everything's evolving. And that's, I love that about wrestling. When you see the journey from where you were, I remember watching you early days of like war and stuff Mm -hmm. and seeing how then you went to ECW. I remember your big match with Bigelow on some some house show loop or something <laughs> seeing where you went. And then you show up with that, that Pearl Jam knockoff in WCW. I was like, Holy shit, what a cool thing to see the journey and the evolution mm-hmm. from the gear, the arsenal, the whole thing evolves. That's one of the cool things about wrestling. It's always been like that and it never changes, but it's just fun seeing, you know, your guy go. All right. So I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. We all love factors ready to eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef crafted and dietitian approved. And best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus and keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to wrestle Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up. 
ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash TIJ50 and use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. So we've talked about this before, but just got to refresh my memory. How long did you work for WWE? And you were actually a writer for WWE, but for how many years? 05 to 07. Okay. So kind of tell us a little bit more about what that would entail. Like, you know, when you mentioned... What, what does Vince expect of you as a writer and kind of what's your schedule during that time? Well, it's, it seems like it, 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 the controls continue to kind of tighten around the creative team. It would go from leaning heavily into the wrestling minds. There was a time we had on the team. Great. It was a who's who. It was Dusty. It was DiBiase. It was Pauly. It was Michael Hayes. It was great Ganya. Um, like it was just, and, and then some would, you know, float in, float out, you know, Bruce Pritchard was there a lot, but you know, it was, it was interesting. Then you had all these Hollywood writers and they ranged from guys that had worked on chips and were like 70 years old right. and Knight Rider, which was, I was like, Oh, tell me stories about that. And guys that worked on 90210 and all these shows I grew up with to guys that had just maybe washed out of, of Hollywood and were like 24 and just like, Hey, trying this out now. Yeah. And some knew wrestling and loved it. Some of them didn't. And they didn't understand the etiquette of wrestling and no one at WWE prepped them. They just threw them in the deep end. And it's like, okay, let's see what you got. Uh, so it was interesting. It was, it was a weird process, but you're a suggester, you know, you come up with your, your, your suggestions for segments. You pitch them to the head writer, whether it was Brian Gewertz or Alex Greenfield at SmackDown. And then from there it's okay. These are the ideas we're going to throw at the old man and see what goes. And, you go in the meeting and you pitch him. And sometimes he cuts you off in the first sentence and says, damn it, this is the direction we're going in. I'm so disappointed in you. And this, he dictates what he wants. And then you try to deliver on that. Right. There are people that, depending on their time in the business or where they were in their headspace, they felt maybe more of an obligation to the fans than to their boss and would die on that hill of Vince trying to get the best creative they could. There are also those that are very political, again, like Game of Thrones, and would like read Vince know what he wanted, deliver to him, and they slept great at night. And if the fans liked it or not, it didn't matter because they Vince liked it. And that means they were going to probably be there for a decade or whatever. Yeah. So you've got all these different things happening. And if you countered an idea that someone had pitched, that could have political ramifications. So you might have just burned them on an idea and they were going to hold you accountable because maybe they got someone, they pitched it to the town already. And now the town signed off and they got to tell the town, yeah, I didn't get it done. They're going with the kid's idea or that the other guy's idea. We always would joke and Dusty would always say the best show they could put on and get the best ratings is putting a camera. They probably already have a camera. Yeah, up yeah. And then, you know, we would always, he would always wave to the corners. Hey, baby, hey how's it going? <laughs> I love Dusty. Dusty was, uh, I remember Dusty. He had his own office. He turned off the lights, and he had this one light in the corner. It looked like a detective office, and he he would tell Stephanie that um, he was computer illiterate, which was total bullshit. To the f- fact that in 2006 or so, he would figure out how to stream Willie Nelson on his computer when streaming music was like not a thing. <laughs> right. But she would she'd give him homework assignments like Dusty. I want you to write feedback on what the pitches were and just give us your insight. 
So he just smashed the keyboard and write, you know, all the, you know, just <laughs> much on the keyboard. And she, and he'd go to see her. Definitely. I wrote that email. See that? She goes, yes. It was just gibberish. <laughs> but, you know, I remember him sitting in that office and his son, Cody was in high school in Georgia, great standout wrestler, amateur wrestler. And he was tracking his, his path. And for him, he saw him going after competing as a wrestler to Hollywood. And then he already had him enrolled in, in acting classes. And he saw this trajectory where it was like amateur wrestling, Hollywood, which then could go to movies, TV, film, whatever, or it could just really turbocharge you for a career in WWE and go into at the time, OVW. So he kind of had a blueprint for, for Cody and just adored his son. I think he'd be just thrilled to see how Cody's career ended up. It's interesting because that, that we never really had much interaction because between 05 and 07, I was gone. And that's when I was just really burned out in wrestling and decided to to study acting as well. Not necessarily to be a movie star per se, but just to study the craft. And that's when, in my opinion, when I came back in 07, leading to 08 is when I really became Chris Jericho, quote unquote Chris Jericho, because I had that extra experience of training, of, of acting and committing and dropping into a character. Do you think it'd be beneficial for wrestlers to, to take some sort of acting class or is that more of just a natural element that you either have or you don't i think explore i mean there are guys that take up jujitsu just to see hey can i implement some of this in what i do right try stuff and see what sticks and what doesn't there are a lot of guys that did like improv like low-key would go there at like the midnight 1 a.m comedy club and just freestyle and just try some stuff because i think so much of wrestling when it's done right is improv you're improvising based on what the crowd's going to be what they're going to say what they're going to react to you don't know and one of the problems when you overstrict wrestling is you have a game plan, you go out there and it's not over with the crowd. How the hell do you change it up? Yeah. And that's not easy unless you know how to improvise. Because, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, when you write a product and you're so originally scripting and everything is uh, the temperature of that audience, whether you're in El Paso this week, LA the next week, it's going to be different. And you don't know until you're at the show. If you know what you're doing, you're peeking through that curtain early on in the night to get a feel for what that crowd's like. Mm-hmm. What do we got here? Is it going to, this is going to be a tough crowd. Where's the hot, spot in the crowd to go and work to get them to come up those kind of qualities those kind of things just come with experience but i think all that stuff helps i think all that stuff acting classes you know why not try it i mean especially if you're in a company that could open those doors and a lot of wrestlers have you know an opportunity it seems like to, to possibly break out and do even just a cameo on a tv show what's the best angle you ever pitched to vince that he used and what's the best angle you ever pitched to him that he didn't use Best was the introduction of Umaga. Oh, wow. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Coming up with the, the NUI family. Is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in Allentown? or I would I went to college in Northern Maryland and would take weekend trips up and stay at Anafa's basement. Nice. <laughs> he said, you know, son, uh, the bed may not be that good, but it's okay. Don't worry. Yoko was just here. And he had Yoko had broken the frame. So you, it was like a UV. So you kind of rolled down into the bed and then have to climb up. And it was so cool because in the basement, there's all these old photos. It's, you know, they have like one of Bruno's belts was hanging over like a big boxy TV. There's a like a photo of Arthur when he was in the Navy. I'm like, wow, the, he looks all clean cut. It just blew my mind. Growing up with that family, it was just years and years of experience and just ask them any dumb question. They always had an answer. What were you doing there? Just going to hang out or were you working for them? Or So I, I started in 97 and I just kept asking Sam Lou, like, Hey, can I get into the business? And he just like blow me off. And I just kept harassing. He's like, okay, just show up and we'll figure out what to do or something. And it started with like marketing and building their websites. And all of a sudden they were 
I would get ideas on a match and all of a sudden I was booking their shows mm. and all of a sudden I would came up with the name of their new company, which would end up being called at the time WXW. There's the one in Germany and the oh, yeah. one in Allentown. <laughs> yeah. We had the Gary Albright Memorial Show, the Yoko Show. I was on the Gary Albright Show, right? I, yeah. That was the first time I met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Against Eddie. Yep. It was a great show because you had everyone converge. I think that we had all Japan on that show. WCW, WWF. It was like one of those unique things where you right. see everyone there. And it was at the Ag Hall, which is an old, old building in Allentown, still there agricultural hall it's like where they just trot out horses and cows and stuff and it smells like that but it used to be where they used to tape wwf tv in the 70s and 80s the syndicated show right so there's a lot of ghosts in, in that building and so that's where we we had that memorial so that was a great show i have the tapes on i think we had johnny smith a, a forgotten name from the past an awesome yep. uh, against monokea mossman taiokea i yeah i was like who's who on that show just an awesome show you mentioned you started working there yeah 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 so, so I connected with Eki Fatu, yeah. who was part of the NUI Fatu family. He had uh, taken a sabbatical from WWE, and so I brought him into MLW with Samu. And so we had a report. He had worked with me at MLW. Then we'd worked together at WWE. In fact, uh, Matt Anuai, Roman Reigns' big brother, who was Eki's tag team partner in Three Minute Warning, had stayed with the company, Superhero in Training, where, while Eki had uh, his time out. And he was lobbying always to get him back because he wanted to bring back Three Minute Warning, which was a ferocious tag team. These yeah. Massive, super heavyweight guys that could just fly, like Jacob Fat, too. They wrecked shop in FMW. They wrecked shop in Puerto Rico, everywhere they went. And of course, then they went to WWE in 02, 03, and then Eki took his time out. So fast forward to 06, Superhero and Train gets uh, Rosie, gets Eki another go. And so Vince was going to look at him in his dark match when, like, Thinking we're in Cincinnati or Houston, they bring out three minute warning. They they you know they go over the locals and as he's on the rope and Eki's out there just full of fire, just incredible killer instinct and energy. Vince with the glasses down on the tip of his nose looks over, and goes, "We're bringing him back, but this none of this tag team shit. He's going to be a top star." And he decreed right there that the the plan was top star, top monster for Cena, and so he assigned that to Brian Gewirtz and the Raw writing team. Uh, a few months pass. He's just signed and sitting at home collecting a check, which Vince doesn't care for. He's, you know, puts you to work. And we're getting ready to go to Chicago for WrestleMania 22. We had our last meeting going into there with Vince. And he goes, we got to get some new heels from Cena. we not got to keep feeding this guy. We need monsters. And where are we with, with this Eki guy? Why hasn't anything been done? Because they're, they're, everyone looked at each other. It's like, yeah, we, that one just slipped through. Because it's a demanding job. You know, things happen. They just can't, they didn't get to them. Sure. So I get assigned it because of my history. So I'm spending the weekend thinking like, okay, I'm flying out to Chicago. We have WrestleMania. What are we going to do here? I call him. I said, look, we got to figure this out, man. And so Eki and I on the phone and at the hotel just came up with Umaga. And it was a callback throwback to his uncles doing the Wild Simone gimmick, but with a modern twist with the grill piece. I had pitched him the, the face paint. Originally, I wanted to be a temp tattoo. He goes, yo, Oos, you do it first. Let me know how that works out. Then I'll do it. And I said, all right, yeah, I wouldn't want to walk around with this all the time. How about face paint? I don't know how to do face paint. So we had to get the girls in makeup and, and hair to, to do it for him initially and so he could figure out how to do the whole design. You know, 72 hours later, he debuted on Raw. That's how fast we went from him sitting out, concept, sign off. Now he's making a big impact. I think this first night he went and took out maybe Flair, but he had a big splash and he never looked back. He was an undeniable top star. Yeah. Man, he could go. And, it, and the thing is, 
for a long time, the Samoans really, the gimmick was not to talk. They were supposed to be, came from a different time and wrestling was presented differently. But there are savages. They were, yeah. They, oh my God. And, and, and I was, <laughs> we, we wanted to, I wanted him to talk. And he just, he, you know, it's almost like with Sabu not wanting to talk. There was like a mystique. It was part of like, it would just, what would happen? Oh my God. You know, what if he had a voice like Mike Tyson, which he didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and finally, he, they allowed him to talk a little bit, but they put him with Armando Estrada, which was a cool kind of thing to do. I pitched actually Gary Hart being his manager, who was met with me. Oh, wow. And Gary, who Dusty and I had tried to get to join the creative team, was like, listen, all you got to do is call me a bitch about the creative team. Why would I want to go there? <laughs> so that, that th- I don't think that, I think that had a 0% chance of happening. So <laughs> Estrada, who was in OVW at the time, got picked to be his manager. Where, where did the name Umaga come from? Do you remember? Yeah, that was literally us just like going through like Simone cultural names and the meaning of it was like a new, oh, I think it meant either the end or a new, like a new beginning or something like that, which was reflective of what he had gone through and now the metamorphosis from Jamal and Three Minute Warning to Umaga. I just Googled it. It means the end. Yeah, there you go. I, not bad. 17, 18 years later. <laughs> but, I mean, he was just so natural. And, and thankfully, we had throwback gear because it was easy to get. The family always had a pair of those throwback gear. And so we could debut him very easily. And it was one of those things where it didn't have to go put him through wardrobe, build a costume and stitch it fast. That, that thing was turnkey. You know, we got some we got a grill from the streets and he was ready to rock. The other, uh, the other meaning, which has been proven wrong, was shriveled up monkey penis. I, I think that <laughs> might have been circulating in the back for a little bit. <laughs> you know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses, like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'll say one more thing about about Eki and Umaga. Uh, I was worked, I worked with them quite a few times, but man, yeah, definitely a world champion material. And I know Vince loved him because we were over in Iraq when Eki passed away, and I remember he was just like, ah. Because I think, you know, like you said, Eki took his break. He was having some issues with the the demon side of the business. And I remember uh, Vince just saying, if only he could have gotten past that, he would have been a really big, you know, legendary star for sure. So there's no doubt about it. He was undeniable talent. And he went, he was at like the tail end of a time when those kind of demons were still, I mean, today, this generation has done such a good job. So different now. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, it's like you talk to them. And they saw they saw their heroes go through the shit. Right. They loved wrestling. They were inspired to, because of those guys to be in wrestling, but they didn't want to. They don't want that end result. 
because of that, I think we're in a much better place because it's generations, you know, they have fun, but they don't take it to that, that extreme, which is right. their families, their fans, everyone's well-being. And, you know, one thing I'll say is Eki has a son named Zilla Fat too, who just started training with Booker T, I'm told. So we'll see where that takes us. But, you know, it never I, ends with those guys. Where does Jacob fit in? So, yeah. So, so Jacob, is, that was his uncle. Eki is Jacob's uncle? Yep. And so Jacob is the son of Tonga Kid. Ah, little Sam. Little Sam. Big Sam is Samu. There's two <laughs> Sams. So it's like to do the Samoan tree, I need probably some sort of PowerPoint presentation, but I can do it. And then you got the one where they all call each other cousins, like Ro- The Rock is cousins with all of them. And, you know, uh, Tamina Snuka is cousins with all of them. Like you guys are all okay. So everyone from Canada is now my cousin. That's the new thing. I'm starting my own faction. Any Canadian wrestler is my cousin from now on. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Bret Hart, Edge, you name it. Uh, Ethan Page, whoever we got, they're my cousin. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's funny how that works, right? <laughs> and it's a, it is a great family. And like in the summer, they all get together. They, they got this big pig roast to do out in Allentown. It's a great, big, loving family. And, and one of the things that always blew my mind, for those who don't know, Gary Albright, was a beast in the 90s. Yeah. He was a badass shooter. Just go- If you saw a picture of Gary Albright, you go, oh, he's just kind of like a skinny fat guy or whatever. Google Gary Albright all Japan and watch him beat the hell out of everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like Doc Death and they were like best friends and uh, went to University of Nebraska, came up in Japan as- through UWFI and was bad. His suplexes were just smooth as silk. Yes. Uh, just badass dude. So he married Afa's daughter. Right. I remember sitting in Afa's living room. To me, Afa was this lovable elder statesman and very, he'd say, punch me in the stomach. And you punch him in the stomach and the stomach was like a <laughs> cannonball. It was hard. It was like, wow, I thought that'd be like, you know, the balance or something. It was hard. It was like a tank. <laughs> and I remember Gary, when he went to visit Allentown, visit Afa at the time, he was terrified. Like, yeah, you look, you, you know, your father-in-law, it's always a weird dynamic. Imagine your father-in-law is Afa. And you're sitting there and he just looked at me and looked at my, my my future wife and he was just like, eyes were big, like, please help me. I don't want to be alone with this guy in the room. Please do anything. And he's getting <laughs> drunk, just trying to like not be tense. And he's just getting tenser as he's getting more drunk. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And Sam Ruwash is like, we need to get this guy out of here. <laughs> you know, this is a badass shooter. And he's just terrified because, you know, imagine having Afa as your father-in-law. Well, he started in Calgary too. He was a uh, Vulcan Singh, yes. which was the brother of Muckin Singh, who was the top in the territory, Mike Shaw. So I've been watching Gary Albright since I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. Oh, and just a great dude, huge hockey fan, huge Rangers fan. In fact, that he he passed in January of 2000. We were supposed to go to a Rangers game. I think it was the next night. He was crashing my place in Westchester, New York, yeah. and, and then we'd go to the game. And fast, tragically, he passed in the ring, you know, right in front of me. And it's like yeah. it was the one couldn't imagine just a massive heart attack. There was a lot of tragedies in the business. And that was one of those ones he just, you know, he, he had some health issues and just was neglecting. He would stop taking his medicine for some some reason I'll never understand. Gone way too early, along with his tag team partner, Doc Death, who was a badass dude. Yeah, lo- the whole family kind of has that. The, the well, you know, These are naturally big guys, and the guys ran pretty hard back then. So um, now what's the, what's the best idea pitch to Vince that, you, that he didn't use? Oh, man, they're all great ideas. Of course, right? of course, every one of them. <laughs> well, it's like the best idea probably that we that I pitched that didn't get used. It was like circumstantial. Because it was like there was a lot of circumstance that happened. So uh, it was 2006. It was the weekend we had the call to book WrestleMania. 
22. Mm-hmm. It was the weekend that Eddie passed in Minnesota. We were going to head out for a pay-per-view in Minnesota that week. Okay, right, right. So it's like November, and Brett had just come back to the company, kind of, sort of, doing his own anthology DVD set. And that was like a big moment for WWE. Brett's back. This is so crazy. Who would have thought? It's been like nine years. Never saw that coming. And Vince was, you know, the relationship was starting to warm up. And Vince said, like, you know, he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. So any ideas for Brett? The most natural idea is, like, Brett versus the McMahon family. Because the USA just jumped back from Spike to USA Network. And it was, like, the biggest thing they wanted, all the notes we got from the network, was more McMahons, more McMahons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's just, what about the Hart family led by Brett versus the McMahon family? So we started looking at that. And it's like, well, you got Shane. You got hunter you got stephanie and then we're like well, how do you build this out with younger kids because a big part of the hearts was component was going to be uh and you were in play for this by the way just talking about canadian family nice it was going to be brett it was going to be a brawly match with no real bumps by him but it was brett was going to lead the charge and i believe it was you because you had the connection to Stampede and everything with the Hart family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natty, who hadn't been signed, but was signed as a part of this. Harry Smith, Davy Boy Smith Jr., who was signed, but they weren't using. TJ Tyson Kidd, who wasn't signed, but they were interested in. So those guys, Teddy Hart and maybe one other guy. And the idea was, as crazy as that last name was, to then have on the McMahon side, then they were going to bring in, I think, Shawn Michaels and his students, Paul London, Brian Kendrick, and I think they were floating with Daniel Bryan at that time, Brian Danielson. But ultimately what happened was Brett ultimately said, like, yeah, no. And Vince <laughs> was like, you know, first of all, I remember it was we were on this conference call. It was like a Saturday or I think it was a Saturday. And so we we're going out to the pay-per-view that night. And I remember Vince saying, Hold on, I'll call Brett and pitch it right now. And I'm like, this is surreal. Like these two, we I mean, last I knew these two, Vince had got punched out by Brett. Right, 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 right. And you get to hear Vince pitch a guy, you know, top guy on an idea to come back, which you don't hear. Those conversations usually happen far away from everyone, right? It's one-to-one. Right. But he just wanted to, like, let's just roll up his sleeve. Let's get make this happen. He liked it. So Vince, you know, pitches it, and he goes, ah, Brett, ah, ah, got this idea. All right, sounds good. All right. So initially, Brett said yes. Within, like, 48 hours, 24 hours, whatever it was, he's like, no, I'm out. But the ideas continued and they started to look at different ways to do it. Ultimately, from that came Natty being signed, TJ being signed, and a lot of different things that would lead to other great stuff, just not what we had hoped for. And even even that WrestleMania 22, I mean, we weren't sure Brett was going to, you know, be at the Hall of Fame and he showed up and, you know, it was just like a whole jump ball situation because the relationship still needed a lot of TLC. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk a little bit about something else that you emailed me about that I was directly involved in, which of course is Taboo Tuesday, which started as Cyber <laughs> Cyber Sunday. Sunday. I was in the first Cyber Sunday, and I'll say this before we talk about your Taboo Tuesday. This was 100% real when I did it, because it was going to be Chris Jericho defending the Intercontinental Championship against one of like 19 guys, yeah. and they wouldn't even tell me who the top three guys were. I remember talking to Kevin Dunn, like, well, who's the top three? <laughs> we can't tell you. Why are you working me? 
I'm the fucking ghost. The only guy that's that everybody here thinks that it's not real. Every fan in the place thinks it's not real. <laughs> I'm the only one you're working here. And I ended up, Shelton Benjamin ended up get, getting voted in. And they didn't even tell me the finish until Shelton came in the ring, had Mike Kyoto whisper it to me. And I couldn't hear what he was saying. So it looks like I have a boo-boo face. So I'm like, I can't fucking understand you. What? Yeah. What? And I asked them, like, why is this happening? Like, can't we just do this? This will work. The whole thing's work. There was some lawyer somewhere that said fraud. You can't do something like this or it's a fraud. Oh, you can't have people call in and pay to vote or it's a fraud or something like that, right? There was something. Yeah. I don't know what. There was something that happened involving, I don't know if it was the broadcast of it or some, because I think you voted online for free, but I'm not sure. But there was some sort of thing that they were like, Vince was like, no, just have to be on the up and up, legit all the way. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. But at least so, tell me what it is. Like you, whoever's voted in, that's fine. But give me a clue. Cause I had to walk around to 19 different guys and go, what's your finish and what's your favorite move? I'm talking to like freaking Jonathan Coachman. Like he didn't even have a finish, but he's on the list. I'm like, what if he gets picked? Well, that's a funny name you should bring up because so the last time we did this was 05 which was then moved to Taboo Tuesday. So they were moving Cyber Sunday to a Tuesday. I don't remember the reason why. It was not a good reason because Tuesday paid reviews are the shits. <laughs> but it's like, why would you do that? They move it to Tuesday and they get asked, like, Stephanie's like, okay, here's homework assignment for the team. Come up with names. I was like, don't we have a marketing department? So, okay, here's our names. And one of them I put on there was Taboo Tuesdays, lame. Right, right, right. I didn't hear anything until I see a poster get you know put up in the hallway. I'm like, wait. <laughs> Who did that? Did I put that in there? I go search my email. I look back. Like, oh, that was one of the shitty names I had. Do I get like a royalty for this? But I was like too scared to ask. Like, would they get hot if I asked? Because I was still like early days. Look, I was like, yeah, well, I don't know if I want to own this <laughs> one. Little did I know this is the show where it was supposed to be Steve Austin versus Jonathan Coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I don't think they looped in Steve Austin on the finish, which was Coach going over for reasons I don't remember, don't know, don't want to even acknowledge. And I think Steve was told the to finish at some point that weekend, and that was changed to Batista versus Coachman. <laughs> and inexplicably, they brought in Goldust and Vader to do a run-in. And this was so last minute because of the hinky nature. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was a shit show. Vader gets vertigo. If you watch it back, he does this thing that breaks gravity where he's climbing up to the, uh, the ring step. And he's, <laughs> and he does this weird thing where his whole body like flips out, bugs out, and he like takes a weird bump. Coaching, what the hell to do? Everyone's looking around. Everyone, it was four minutes, five minutes at most of just horrifying live tv <laughs> just awfulness and look, there's some great stuff that's happening wrestling this ain't going to be one of those that makes the list but usually we try to condition it so it'd be like you know rick flair versus triple h in a strap match steel cage match or first blood match and then just you try to lean into the reason oh you can't escape me trust me right when they vote you won't be able to escape me because you're in a steel cage yeah so you try to do it but after a while it just got so screwy i think there's a concept there that actually could work maybe on live TV for free, but fans want to know what they're buying. And they don't know what they're buying when they have a whole show with stiff matches and you have no idea what any of them are, who's in them, yeah. what the hell this is going to be. And then you're burning, like you have the potential to burn through great matches. I think we ended up doing like Cena versus Sean versus Kurt on that as the main event, just on a random Tuesday pay-per-view. It's weird. And that's my point. What I was just saying, Court, like you just mentioned, a bunch of given matches that don't mean anything. People like to know what they, what they're paying for, for sure. And that's why I still laugh in my case. It was like, 
I was the only one, because like you said, they only did it once or twice afterwards, but any, every other one was, it's Court versus Chris in a cage match, street fighter, rope match, and it's Kane versus Undertaker in a, in a you know, whatever. But I was the only one who you didn't even know who the opponent was. And it's still one of my favorite stories to this day, because I'm the one guy in Taboo Tuesday, Cyber Sunday, who literally had no idea what was going on. And, and you wanted to take two, two or three years away from the business. I As a why. result, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as, as we start to wind down, there's something else you wrote in your email that was interesting to me. Where do you find uh, the next generation of talent and try and lock them in uh, before they get in the hands of Vince or Tony? And you met, we've talked about them quite a few times. Hammerstone, who was on Talk is Jericho, Jacob Fatu. How do you find the other next generation of those types of guys? I think some of the stuff that I just go and scroll on my social media and you'll, you'll find like these cool clips. You're like, let me do a little deeper dive and you'll find something interesting. I mean, there's so much talent out there now. You know, you look back 15 years ago, it was like scorched earth. If you looked at the Indies back then, yeah, it wasn't like you were finding all these gems. Now you could go look and see what's going on up in Northern Cali this weekend or down in Texas and you'll find talent. Are they going to acclimate to TV? Are they going to click in your system? You don't know until you try them out. Uh, we hope for the best. We got really lucky, for example, with Fat Two and Hammer, like really like generational talent in that they had their like tryout and signed with us their first night together in February of 2019, maybe. Wow. Like we just got lucky that those two just hit from the jump. You want that to always be the case, but it doesn't really always happen like that. Sure, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. My COO, St. Laurent, found MJF. He was working like in front of like 40 people in Tampa, Florida for like a, a local show at a bar. And he was like, I don't know who this kid is from New York, but he's going to be something special. This guy is like, seriously, a guy we should consider signing. And he signed with us at the age of 21 uh, for two years. And Max, just to see how he evolved and turned into what he has turned into, it, it was great. And then, you know, there's guys too that, MLW is perfect because they learn the system of running, being on TV, working with people that have been at a high level so they can understand not just the bell to bell, but the entire process. Because it's not just about, you know, what happens when you go out there and if you, you know, kill it. You, there's so many other dynamics to getting over, staying over and, and evolving as a talent. And, and Max is one of those guys that is, I'm thrilled to see how his career has gone. He is another generational talent. Who are some of your up and coming guys that you have your eye on that can you feel are going to be you know top stars for you and in, in the business overall? Well, the, one of the guys that I see a big twenty three for in MLW is Alex Kane. Alex Kane or Kane? Kane. Kane. Yeah, dude is a beast. Um, he's the ca fight captain of the Bumai Fight Club. Just can freely throw suplexes like no one else. Just really explosive. Great promo. He executes like you tell someone once. You never say it again. And he also has questions. He wants to learn. Like, I think it's important for talent to be curious and look at things and ask, why is it this way? Not in a defensive way, accusatory way, but just like, how does that work? How do I, I want to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're young, you're full of gusto, you're full of bluster. You, you, you don't necessarily show that side to you. But I think when guys do that, they learn, they get better. It's about, you know, we, I ask questions. I think it's important to learn. And, and that's how you get better at your craft straight up. Another guy who I think is going to be possibly our biggest, one of our biggest stars on, on reels is going to, is Microman. Conan told me about this guy. The smallest wrestler in history. Wow. He's a luchador. Second, second generation. He's three feet tall. He is like basically baby Yoda in a lucha mask. <laughs> he is awesome. Awesome. I, I mean, real one formerly known as Enzo Amori. 
recently worked him, he was like, I've never had an experience like that. The pop he got working him is that it just blew him away. That's amazing. If you watch him, you watch him online, you'll, you'll be like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this in wrestling. And it's like, I call him like inverted Andre the Giant. When you saw Andre, you're like, sure, I'm going to stay tuned in because I've never seen something like this. And in a lot of ways, Microman is that too. He's he's just so unique and so special. So, Microman, that's crazy. Three foot tall. Yeah, I mean, and he's his father's in CMLL. He's been a he's like twenty one, and uh, you know we're really lucky to have him. I think you know he kills it in merch. He can he, the crowd loves him. He's just something you don't see every day, and that's the beauty of wrestling. Sure, when you have a variety. You know, I, I, there was a time we were at WWE, like everyone looked like an underwear model, same haircut, same tribal tattoos, yeah. same gear. I was like, I'm begging for someone to be a giant, a super heavyweight, <laughs> something. Just give me JYD. I miss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss it. So I, I think that's nice to have. When I had, my, like I said, we just got off the cruise and I made sure that I put uh, Swoggle was on and Brad Williams and Satnam Singh. And as we leave the port, I always have a sail away toast. I said, it's got to be Satnam Singh and Brad Williams. I just want everyone to know you got little people, you got giants and everything in between. Because that's what wrestling is, man. It's, it's all things to all people. Absolutely. And I think, you know, look, you've got to put out 52 weeks of programming, whether it's an hour, two hours, three hours, 10 hours, whatever. Just having that variety is so helpful. Yes, you want the workhorses. Yes, you want those guys that look cosmetically, you know, marketable and everything. But man, the guys that pop are like, we have a super heavyweight tongue called Juicy Finale. Dude is amazing. Larger than life character. It's like something I would have watched when I was a kid watching the old rock and wrestling cartoon. Just totally different. Those are the kind of things that make wrestling just that variety. And, and I think when wrestling is clicking, it's, yeah, it's a reflection of, pop culture and culture in general, but it's also reflective of just diversity and variety in the ring. Everyone should lock up the same. It shouldn't work the same. All that presentation matters. Right. And, you know, if everyone looked like Hammerstone, Hammerstone wouldn't be special. That's right. That's right. Last two questions for you. Um, speaking of, of it being special, what is your plan now that MLW is on reels? You've got the biggest audience watching you've ever had. Yeah. How do you be different from AEW? How do you be different from WWE and, and create your own, your own niche and your own fan base? We're just, you know, we're just going all killer, no filler. Our competition has two, three hours. And, you know, look, you got, you got a lot of hours for both companies every week. Yeah. We just got to kill it for 44 minutes, not including commercials. And that's my goal. Just go out there and just full throttle all the way. And along the way, just show them different characters, certain characters you may not be able to clear <laughs> with standards and practice on other networks. You might have a little more freedom to do here. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then just having that, just having that different feel. You know, our mantra is just, Think different. I try not to watch other products because I don't want to be influenced by them. And that's, you know, you want to keep up, but at the same time, you don't want to be like influenced and then all of a sudden you're mimicking it. It's a fine balance between differentiating yourself, being different, but also having a pulse for what's getting over. Well, it's a huge deal that you've been able to accomplish that. I think it's great, but that, but I really want to hear a favorite Conan story. You mentioned you've got many of them all the way down the board. Give me a good uh, or ridiculous or stupid Conan story that you got. Well, I can just tell you, we have a show in Tijuana. I just found out he hasn't gotten to Tijuana yet. Oh, tonight? <laughs> it's like three o'clock <laughs> tonight. It's, we have a show with him in Tijuana. And we're like, I was like, where's Conan before I got on, the, on with you? They're like, oh, he's going to get there around three o'clock. I was like, is he awake? You sure? <laughs> I mean, we've had so many good times with him through the years. I mean, um, I got to know him doing the podcast originally. He actually, we'd never crossed paths before that. He found me actually, oddly enough, Conan using LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, weird. He uses LinkedIn. That's strange. 
we just started talking one day and then I was like, we should just do a, a, a podcast. And from there he started doing podcasting. He, he's such a fun guy. He always has some sort of wise ass remark. JR is good at the king of being a king of wise ass remarks. Right. The thing about JR is you don't know if he's being a dick or he's being wise ass because of the facial paralysis, but it's in the eyes. You can tell in the eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and in the tone of voice. Yes. yes. <laughs> and he's the great sarcastic humor. Going ends the same way. In fact, I remember one Wally Mania, JR might have taken a puff of something and may have taken <laughs> one too many puffs of something and, and had a nice big feast on stage in the middle of the podcast part of Wally Mania and then took a nap <laughs> on stage. <laughs> but yeah, he had a good time. Well, dude, it's always great talking to you, man. And once again, congrats on MLW Underground and looking forward to see what you do with it. It's a great opportunity and you've done a good job of making new stars, which is what the business is all about. Yeah, all, we're all about just being a new breed. Tune in Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Reels every Tuesday, MLW Underground. We promise it'll be the fastest hour of wrestling you ever watch. And then stick around for ACDC behind the lyrics uh, right afterwards on Reels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Great talking to you, bro. Always. Thank you.